You're listening to Version Control, Pounding Grain's digital news podcast. We are back. New friends, new topics, all the goodness of digital marketing that you've come to expect from us. Today, we have special guests joining me. As usual, my right hand, but is nowhere near me anymore because of the pandemic, Scott Liu. Hello. And live from way across the country, our social media queen, Julie Sheldon. Hello. And last but certainly not least, we have Robin Ellsworth. Oh, nailed it right off the first try. I did just go and get like, do a phone order for my engagement ring. And they spelled my name wrong, both in the first and in the last name. They spelled it Allsworth, like A-L-S-W-O-R-T-H. Outrage. I was outraged. And then they changed it. And then they couldn't find my file anymore because no name was associated with it. This is this is this is what this is where people start telling stories on social media. I'm not one to usually post on social media about my rage. I'm all about the happiness. <laughs> it's a good rule. I think that's a good rule. It is a good rule. Rather, the better the better thing to do on uh, all forms of media is telling stories. Isn't that why we're here today, Scott? That is definitely why we're here. And we are like really, really happy to be talking with Jules and Robin about this in particular, because we know that not only, you know, you guys work in this industry and, and are thriving, but you're just genuinely interested in really good storytelling. Um, so we wanted to kind of talk to you guys about that. And like, I think from like just what we do, not necessarily just from an audience perspective, but it's really interesting to kind of look at the power of story Um as pieces of entertainment, but also as marketing tools. Um, so, Jules, like I know that you um, you 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 dabble in in the social medias. Um, you could say that. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, and you also kind of have a, a very uh, strong and lengthy background in, in sort of traditional marketing as well, and, and storytelling from that. I mean, when when you started to when social became sort of this massive. Uh, it's more than a phenomenon. It's like a way of life now. But when social kind of came into the light here, what kind of like stories or, or, or different sort of filters were you put, did you have to put on um, sort of brands and what they were talking about in order for it to kind of, you know, fit this new normal of what social is lately? Yeah. I mean, what I loved about social right off the bat was that it was no longer a uh, one to uh, one-to-one kind of um, mechanism, but it was, it now was a, it's, it's a two-way channel, right? And that's what I love. When you think about kind of traditional digital, where I started my career, it was, you know, we create a website or we create an email campaign and we send it out to you. And that's kind of where that ends. Uh, social is the complete opposite of that. And that's what I love, right? You say something, someone says something back. You know what, the way I always describe social media is it gives a brand a breath. So, uh, you know, it, unlike, you know, you're putting up a traditional marketing campaign or a billboard, it goes through 17 rounds of revisions and everyone signs off on it and that's what it is. But social media is a two-way conversation. And so I really love that. And that's such a differentiator from, you know, traditional marketing and advertising and where we came from. And it's one of the reasons why storytelling works so well uh, in the world of social media is because it allows that conversation to be something that people can actually give you feedback or participate in that story in a way that we just didn't have before. Mm -hmm. And it's funny you, you say that it just kind of like creates that sort of back and forth nature I mean, how many times have you guys been in a, in a situation where like the conversation itself became the story? 
which I think is super interesting in terms of social. Um, like Robin, I know that you're you're going to bring up an example later on that we're all really excited to talk about. But like, what is it about sort of like micro storytelling and sort of that conversation back and forth ability to to create story or tell stories that that's really interesting to you? To me, I feel like the most interesting part is a story is how involved you are in it and your reaction. And when you are part of the conversation, your reaction becomes also part of the story. So like Wendy's, for example, has a really savage Twitter account. It's not a pre-planned like story like, hey, we're going to be this every time. And they always have to basically improv off of whatever the user base does. And they're not always receiving it positively and they're not always receiving it negatively. So even though you might have a planned reaction, you need to improv. And often the consumer response is the funniest part because they're like shocked that a Wendy's would say something terrible to them. Yeah, like tweet threads and sort of the ability to, to have that conversation back and forth is it's not only kind of its story itself, but it kind of opens up the ability to tell a story in in a totally different fashion. So I know Jackson, you're, you're big on Twitter. You're like our, our Twitter guy. I mean, when somebody tells you you've got 280 characters max to tell a story as writers, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is anxiety. Um, but I mean, as a, as like a, an avid Twitter follower, I mean, sure. I'm sure you've seen some amazing stories that take place in like less than that character count. I mean, I think that's the most amazing thing is like just seeing how people are doing things in like, two words or like just a gif i i saw one last night that was just a like a photo but then the like text was that it was an mp like mp4 like it was just like the it was like during the baseball uh playoffs and it was all just like the guy's name dot mp4 and like that was the thing and people were all like yes that's amazing just like i, I don't even know why people think of that uh or that like that's gonna resonate with people and i think that's the the kind of really amazing thing to see people dig into is just like I, I don't know Rob when Robin you were saying um about it's just sort of that organicness and it's kind of a high wire act like if you're doing that community management stuff and just going for it like once you have a sense of like what the brand can do and where maybe that line could be and that you can dip your toes across that line. And that's what like people like love to see brands do like, Oh, that I can't believe they went a little bit further than they normally did. But in a, in a way that like really resonates with the users and engages them. I actually think we just talked about two different interesting ways that stories are told on Twitter. And one is like the controversial, I'm a media person and I'm putting something out there to like start up a discussion and let's see where this goes and hopefully it'll be funny. And the other one is like, oh, I'm watching a baseball game and something funny happens and I put it up and then everyone clicks onto it and then I keep updating the story and it's something new and live and something that I wasn't planning, like my trip to the baseball game dot MP4. And then you're like up to bat, this guy dot MP4. And people yeah. are just like loving it and they keep clicking. And that is a much more like traditional story format where you're updating people as you go. But unlike a traditional story format, they're not like, oh, I'm going to, tweet my entire baseball game and it's going to be hilarious. They're just like, people really like me tweeting about this. Let's keep going. Yeah. 
And I think that's that's an important, what you guys are talking about is important to note that storytelling doesn't require a 10 minute YouTube video, right? Storytelling can be a tweet. It can be uh, a 15 second TikTok video. It can be so many different formats. And I know we're gonna get into, you know, the different social media channels and whatnot, but uh, the way you tell a story needs to be uh, relevant to the platform that you're telling that story on and not trying to retrofit a story onto a platform. It just doesn't work that way. I, you read my mind. I was gonna. I was gonna dive right into sort of like the channels kind of have their their advantages and disadvantages over each other. Um, they're all you know in a way their own storytelling platforms, but they do audiences do treat them differently, right? Absolutely. I mean, Jules. I mean, in terms of like some of the stuff like we're seeing now in, in sort of like the micro video style, like um, like Instagram Reels, like Snapchat, obviously like TikTok and stuff like that. I mean. Has you have you seen sort of a shift in how people are telling stories in that in that way and 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 how like there's some completely unexpected results that are coming from these types of stories as well? Oh, absolutely, and it's it's not totally dissimilar from you know what Jackson was just talking about uh, on Twitter when you know you can tell a story by just sharing a GIF. It's kind of the same thing on some of these 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 platforms where it's more micro content like TikTok. You can have a really effective TikTok video where you're actually not saying anything, you know, you're either just like pointing and words are popping up, you know, or you're answering a challenge or whatever that is, or you're just, you know, doing a, a reaction video or there's so many different ways to tell a story through these, these uh, kind of newer channels, I guess, uh, that just weren't available to us before. And on TikTok, actually, like an interesting feature is instead of just having words to tell stories and you've kind of just mentioned that they're really leveraging the sound and the trends that other people are using. So like right now, a really big trend is just to have your video facing like this way and then you turn your head and it cuts to this. And it's like, there is no words, there's no added context and people understand what your story is based on just like you turning and looking and people are making it like funny and people are making it like sexy and people are just creating a story in this like 15 second sound clip without with barely anything. For those of you in podcast land, Robin literally just turned his head. I, for, I forgot there was no visual. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's a, that's a good, it's an interesting way of, of, of talking about it. Yeah, what I was just going to add to that, Robin, is, is what I love about TikTok is uh, challenges, for example, are a great way of telling a story with others participating in it, right? So someone launches this challenge and then you have a series of people who are, are answering the challenge in isolation, watching a single uh, response video might actually not make any sense. But when you see these all strung together uh, and it becomes an actual story on behalf of the brand, like to me, that is true storytelling with that kind of participatory additional element to it, which is really what social is about, right? It's like I was saying earlier, it's two way. It's not just the brand. I, I, I really like that idea of layering on stories, right? Like that's definitely a component of storytelling. We just could not predict that social was going to be able to do, where it's just kind of like, well, there's this core component that everybody kind of knows about. Let's put a layer on top of that and a layer on top of that and a layer on top of that. And eventually it just becomes a meme, um, which is super fun. Um, I kind of want to pull it a little bit further back, though. I mean, um, not just in social, but I mean, we all kind of work in, in marketing. Um, 
Jackson, like in your opinion, I mean, as a writer, as somebody who's been working in this industry for X amount of years, uh, <laughs> um, like what what makes a good story from a brand's perspective in um, in your mind? I mean, I guess if I re- if I really had the Rosetta Stone to that, like everything I would write would be some sort of magical like home run on KPI metrics. But I th- I think that where the the uh, lightning in a bottle comes from is is really trying to find something no matter how small it is like six seconds or 15 seconds or a, four images um, on a on a tweet that come together to make something like the the pope meme um, where the pope's like lifting something up and like I'm not young, and this may come as a surprise to Robin, but I'm not a young person, <laughs> even though I have a TikTok account. Uh, but th- those kind of ways of of just seeing what other people are doing and then experimenting to kind of craft the story that makes sense for your brand. And I think I- I'm trying to relate it to, to social because that's kind of so important these days. But I think the, the storytelling is really just like this, the classic age old thing, like what's what is the point of view what's the characters and like what's the outcome um and how is that going to be received by the audience i don't think it changed i don't think storytelling per se really changes just like how you go about it for um building on other people's um kind of work or the those those people that are able to like do that like who was the first person that did the pope meme and you're just like how did that come about what was the thought process for that and how did you know like when you start seeing brands do something with the pope in it you're like wow that's a crazy meme that somehow has involved the head of the catholic church i think i want to talk a little bit more about storytelling and how like social media is changing it from my experience working on the client side I got to tell you, like client people, when they're working with an agency, don't always come with a story in mind that they're trying to sell or a brand image or anything that they have about their brand. Their story is we want to move you down the sales funnel. And that's not an effective story, but you can break that out into different effective types of storytelling, like an informative video or an instructional video, or like this is literally how you buy our product. It doesn't always need to be like, personally about the brand it can be a different type of story and i think what happens is a lot of brands enter the social media game see that it looks chaotic and random and like trends just happen and they just throw stuff at a wall and try and make it work but even with this chaoticness and randomness as like jackson was saying you see things and you realize they fit in a meme and you need to apply the storytelling rules of that meme to make it work and oh, if you're not, I, I love you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. Honestly, <laughs> that's probably the hardest thing that, or the biggest clash that agencies and clients have is clients have their sales hat on and they're like, but we need to sell things. So all the social content we put out needs to be about that with the end goal. And we need the KPIs and the ROI and all that kind of stuff. And for us, I mean, we live and breathe in social media every day. We know that it's a long-term game and that telling those brand stories over time and building that loyalty over time is what's going to lead to the sales funnel. Mm-hmm. It's funny you guys bring that up too, because one of the things that, I mean, social kind of really opened up for storytellers is a, is a definitive sense of authenticity, right? It's, it feels a little bit unfiltered. It feels real. Um, and the minute that brands start to play in that territory, 
it's an expectation that what they're going to be sharing is going to come from an authentic place. Um, I think that's a really important component of social storytelling in particular, in that it comes from a place that's genuine and, and kind of has um, has some brand pillars behind it. Um, but it doesn't always work out that way. And I think what's interesting about social in particular is the audience. It's sometimes it kind of feels like it's a little bit overly critical, but at the same time, there's just there's no hiding in social. I find. I think a different word to use other than overly critical is like hyper aware. Like yep. these are people who live and breathe this format that you're trying to sell them something on. And if you aren't following the cultural norms of that platform, you're going to be either like pushed away or laughed at. And it's just something that like we as humans look at in our everyday social life and can inherently see like how we're supposed to act, what we're supposed to do. We've all adjusted to a pandemic and being able to work from home. But say someone came in right now and showed you an ad that was like, come meet me at a restaurant. Every time I see those ads still, I laugh because I'm like, you don't know me. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point because like, and that's kind of the, where social started is you do know me, right? Like those in your social circle know you and suddenly a brand's coming in and exactly what you're saying, Robin, like you, you don't know me. And, and that's an immediate red flag goes up, I think for a lot of people. So definitely something to watch out for if you're a brand is, is sort of that authenticity um, filter on things like that. Having said all of this, like brands need to be careful, brands need to be hyper aware, they can't throw anything out there. I think they also benefit from like the fortune teller where if you say a bunch of stuff, people only remember what they agree with and what they relate to, unless they relate to it negatively, in which case they're going to have a bad image of you. So if you're putting out a bunch of positive brand related content and not all of it sticks, but one piece does that will be remembered more than all of the other pieces that don't stick. And social gives you that opportunity to like really push content and push mm -hmm. quantity. And learn right away what works and what doesn't. You have a live focus group every time you post something on social media. Yes. Such a different world from like, I'm going to use a weird dinosaur term, but like traditional storytelling where you'd write something, you would, it would get published. You'd wait a while, you'd wait for review and then it would come back. Whereas it's, it's literally an instance right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is definitely a bit of a tangent, but when people are getting feedback in companies, it's not always accurate, but they can definitely get a sense. Like your first review could be a five star because someone just saw it and laughed, but it could be zero star quality content or vice versa. And if you don't have a big enough user base that's actually viewing it, you can get stuck in these like loops of people either shooting down your content or pushing it up and getting it stuck at the same level and only seeing the same groups of people. So storytelling goes also into like, how are you reaching your audience and like, what are they reacting to and how can you plan on that, leverage that and work around that? What's, um, this is just sort of like a free for all for everybody, but like what, from a marketing standpoint, what, what's sort of like one of the very first stories that really resonated with you and you were, and you stopped looking at, ads as ads and saw it as like oh my god like that that's a story that this feels like a movie or something like that or feels like a book yes i have like two examples but i actually feel like the super bowl commercials kind of had the opposite effect on me where like from a very young age i realized that everything you're seeing is overproduced and not very authentic and so for me like ads were never these compelling stories and what actually brought me back in to like the ad world and appreciating what marketers are doing were two Snapchat accounts, one being Taco Bell and one being Oreo. And these were two accounts that like 
way back in the day when Snapchat was first coming out, they were pushing content and it was informative, it was interesting, and it was funny. And like, I was not a Taco Bell stan, I'd never been, and I was also a vegetarian. And they started pushing content that was like, how can vegans and vegetarians eat our food? And it was just like hilarious, like beans were throwing everywhere and like all of this random content. And I remember thinking like, wow, like I didn't know an ad, an informative ad could be so entertaining. I am going to follow this account. And vice versa with Oreo, it wasn't about being entertaining because it's just a dunk. It's just a, like the same cookie that's always existed. They were just trying to compel me to find it more interesting and more creative. And so like every holiday, just like Google updates their little animation, Oreo would do something. And I never knew what was coming. And so it was always a little bit of delight and surprise. And like Oreo and Taco Bell were two brands that I never thought of before. And now they are permanently stuck in my mind. And now I'm starving. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> one that comes to mind for me, Scott, is I don't know if it's the very first one, but it's definitely one that I think significantly shifted the industry, which was the Dove Beauty campaign, right? Oh, I yes. Don't know, was that 15 years ago? I don't even know how long ago that was. But that changed the game from you know, Dove is a soap brand and it's just a commodity to, they started telling the story of beauty and what the beauty industry was about. And it, re, it was such a fascinating strategy to see that pivot away from product to storytelling. And I think that really upped everyone's game, to be totally honest. I definitely agree. And I also think that that was like, they had the first mover advantage of like being the first brand to do that. And now when I see other brands make this like, what is real beauty? We're using real models. I always think of that campaign because they were the first one to do it. Totally agree. And for me, I just like, I, I personally like, and I'm not shy of like commercials that seep into the culture, like, and kind of embed themselves into like the DNA and like the example that I remember in the early nineties, uh, was a long time ago, Robin. Uh, when I was born, you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was an H there was an HP sauce commercial, um, where like a cow sings, um, like, cause the whole like line was that like HP sauce makes beef sing. But of course, like the cow only sings when like the farmer's not around, but he's got like an amazing voice. But I remember uh, working at the keg steakhouse, how apropos, uh, and like at least two or three people like constantly would break into that exact, like the way the commercial did its thing. Like that, when when the commercial can break into and then becomes part of the vocabulary of people in real life, like that's kind of amazing. Like that it's, that's the storytelling where it's just like, did you, did you immediately go out and buy more HP sauce? Probably no. Cause like that stuff is not the top of my choice for a uh, steak, but it, it just embedded itself. And you always kind of like think of like, even to this day, if I go past it in the grocery store, I was like sort of like hum that little bit of the song. I have a question. What would you say if somebody coughed? If somebody coughed? Yeah, there was like an iconic ad campaign that I remember and it always stuck with me in the same way that that was. So they would always be like, you know how when you sneeze, people say like, bless you or something. Like uh, when people were coughing, no one was saying anything. And so Robitussin was like, every time someone coughs, you should say Robitussin. 
And so, like, I still think about that, but clearly it didn't catch on in the same way that <laughs> HP sauced it. <laughs> well, I mean, not not everything is going to get embedded into, like, everyone's codex. But I, I think, like, that's the the thing of, like, if you think of the famous ads, that's when, like, why people use Mike's tagline as, like, everyday vernacular and, like, memes to this day. Um, that's That's the power of it. And turn your turn your ad blocker off. <laughs> <laughs> no promises. I was just going to ask Jackson, like, so we're talking about ads and commercials and how they're like stuck in your brain, but now that like people are using ad blockers and like kids aren't consuming cable TV, like I haven't had a cable subscription in five years. How do you think that's transitioning into like memes and what companies are trying to do because they don't have the same platform? Yeah, I think like the next generation will just be like, oh, that like paid TikTok that I saw with <laughs> that song, like, I'll never forget it, you know? That's the best part about marketing is that, like, Jeff Goldblum and Jurassic Park, ads <laughs> find a way. There's nothing you can, you can block them all you want, but they will find, they will still find you. And that's what's amazing. And that's why it's great to be in this business. I don't know if you realize this, Robin, but this entire podcast was just to, to out you on your ad blocking <laughs> habit. I did realize. I would still, in my defense, I still see ads every day when I like walk yeah. to the store or when I look on the internet. They pop up. They find a way, as you said. Yeah, yeah. they do. So, I mean, you can block them in one case, but it's it's kind of like... Uh, I just need to get those like horse blinders is what you're saying. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Scott, I wanted to touch on one thing. Uh, so we're, we're talking about examples of what changed the industry. Uh, and you br brought up earlier the point about authenticity and brands being authentic in their storytelling. I saw something last night, actually, that I wanted to bring up of a brand who wasn't authentic and who's getting raked through the coals on social as they should be. And I'm a big fan of this brand, so I, I hesitate to say it out loud, but I'm going to. <laughs> it's Lululemon. Mm. And so, oh. <laughs> very controversial they, in Vancouver. What are they being ranked over the coals for right now? Because so, it's happened well, before. <laughs> that's, what I was, that's, that's what it's about. So if you recall the controversy, controversy back with, um, you know, Chip Wilson around saying, you know, it wasn't for pant his pants. The pilling was due to, you know, plus size gals wearing the pants and all that kind of thing and the see-through and all of that nonsense that obviously was one of the things that ousted him. But uh, that is still what people remember when they think of Lululemon, especially if you are plus size. And so they have put out an ad on Instagram right now of a plus size model wearing Lulu. And to me, that is such a bad, it's a great example of being very inauthentic because what they could have done is addressed, done some sort of storytelling around how recognizing and, and pivoting and how plus size is a really important part of their evolution of, of a brand as it should be. But instead, they take a plus size model, they photograph her and they put it on Instagram and it's so inauthentic that the comments, no one is positive about it. Everyone is saying like, do you think that this picture has simply just had us forgotten about everything that, you know, that you said and how you've treated us to date and they're just being raked through the coals. So I thought that was such a great example of, of not telling a story of just putting almost a bandaid on a problem and uh, in social and just like hoping that's enough. Respect the hustle. 
So my example was actually something that just recently came out, and it was Adidas, who has launched a new shoe uh, called the ZX Sneaker, and they created a 12-hour YouTube video. And it's, it's, first of all, 12 hours is so long in our world. And it's a bunch of what they're calling escapism content. So it's meant for teens. And it's all these kind of weird and wacky videos that they've strung together from, you know, the shoe being squished to the shoe being blown up to someone painting their face as the shoe. It's so many interesting kind of video clips that they've strung together in a 12 hour video. Uh, it's, it's so memorable. It's so different. And, you know, for, for me, what I loved about it is the fact that it, and it actually says in, in one of the articles I was reading, it says this, it goes against everything that, that designers and creatives are taught in ad school, right? Like creating a 12 hour video in the world of social media sounds preposterous, but it is so fascinating and it's so well done. And it's so specifically tailored to the audience, which I love when I see that is there's so many ways that you can launch a product, but they clearly know exactly who the shoe is for. And they're doing it in a really different and effective way for that teen audience. So that's what I loved about it. But what did you guys think? Um, I'll go next. I, I loved it. I, I love that whole look that they've got going for it. I love the randomness about it. Um, the, the reason why I think the 12 hour thing is so genius, especially right now, is everybody is looking for escapism content and not necessarily just to stare at its background. Like you just put that on in the background and let that play and you come, you know, back and forth to it. Um, just it's visually stimulating. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's just interesting things to look at for 12 hours, which are, you know, that's, it, it sounds simple, but it takes a, a really brave brand to just lean into that. Robin, you're up. Oh, good. I have so many thoughts. And <laughs> not to be controversial, but I actually disagree with you guys. I think this was an example of like poor storytelling on their part because the 12 hour video has like just under 10,000 views in 14 days. And that's like really low for an account that has 350 subscribers. But all of the content they've made is actually really interesting. I think this like 12 hour video is a bad example of their storytelling, but everything they have in here is something that is very trendy and has its own YouTube channel. So they have an example of like the shoe being made out of cake and faking whether it's cake or a real shoe when they cut it. And that's a huge TikTok trend. They have the hydraulic press, which has like, I think a million subscribers on YouTube and he just presses different items with a hydraulic press. And in this case, they put the shoe on it, which I found very interesting but the things they chose to press were not very like satisfying and they actually covered it up with music. And as someone who has listened to ASMR, note this mic that was used for it once, <laughs> it, uh, I didn't find that very interesting or like content that I would put on, but I'm sure all of the TikToks and like other content they can make from this is probably amazing. So Robin, if you were a client, I would tell you that views is not necessarily the measure of success for this because what I would rather is if it's only 10,000 people, but those 10,000 people are the team target and we are absolutely resonating with them, I would way rather that than millions of marketers uh, who aren't necessarily the ones who are going to buy their shoe. Very valid point. Jackson, what, what final thoughts on, on Adidas here? I'm kind of swayed by Robin's uh, side of things, <laughs> to be honest. Um, only, only uh, the only thing I was thinking about it is just like 
thinking of it from the creative team's perspective of like pitching that like 12 hour idea. Like, I feel like that, like it's, it's cool, but like, like doesn't seem like I agree with Robin where like some of the other content that kind of stems out of it could be the more winning pieces versus that. Cause that seems a little bit on the like self-indulgence um, stunt side of things. It was all really cool, but um, I can see how Robin came to that um, side of things. Yeah. And I think just like to add to that is like their target audience probably isn't on YouTube that much. They're probably more on these other platforms that they're going to be making this content for. So I would have expected like the 12 hour video to maybe have a bigger splash initially and then fade into this other content. All right, so I'll, I'll go next. Um, the, my piece this week is, is the Samsung campaign inspired by a true photo. And it's this first film that they've released called Onions. Um, and we'll link to it in sort of the show notes here. But in really quick form, it's basically a mini short. It's just a little short film about onions. And in the end, you they reveal that the, the whole story itself is just inspired by a single photo of a bag of onions. Um, and it's this cute little love story about two people that fall in love that work across the street from each other in like rival grocery stores. Um, what I love about it is its simplicity in that it is like a, there's no dialogue. It's just really just back and forth, really well shot, beautifully, uh, beautifully told story with, with music. Um, and then in the end, it's, they just kind of pull the rug out and say, actually, this never actually happened. It's just all comes from one photo and like how, how great is that, that like so much story can come out of a single frame. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Robin, what'd you think? Uh, I also really like this one. I like the idea that they're really showing like bringing it back to the product and the photo and what they want you to do with it. And so they're taking like a user generated piece of content, expanding on it and then showing how you could make that part of your own life. So a really effective storytelling in my opinion and really, beyond just like showing something emotional, relating it back to the product. Jackson? I like I like this one a lot. I thought at first like it felt like Anderson. Like it does film. feel like a Wes Anderson um, movie. Um, just the whole idea of the onion cafe. It's just and so meticulously kind of put together. But yeah, it's I, what I like about it is that it's so I I guess I'm uh sentimental old softy and just like it's nice to see like something with heart like resonate with people i mean just feels it's a feel good surprising for that category mm -hmm. jules what'd you think i mean listen you give me anything that's to do with romance and i love it so <laughs> that was an, <laughs> that was just an easy win for me but no i mean scott i totally agree with you it was so simplistic it was so well done I love the idea that, uh, I mean, that, that it is, to me, that was the true essence of storytelling. It's looking at a visual and it's almost like, uh, you're, do you guys remember the Choose Your Own Adventure books? When oh, we were yeah. kids? To yeah. me, it's kind of like that, right? It's like you're seeing a, and it depends on who the storyteller is, but everyone would look at that photo and come up with a different kind of adventure or story frame around that. And I love that. I think it's, uh, oh, I just, I, I love this campaign and I hope they keep it going because I think it's, it's so fascinating and, and fun and easy to consume. Robin, um, your contribution this week, uh, I think we all love. Why don't you go for it? Yes, so this is uh, quite the viral TikTok, but it's from 420dogface208, <laughs> and it's him skateboarding down the side of a highway, chugging some cranberry juice, and listening to Dreams by Fleetwood Mac as the audio. Super simple 15-second clip, and it absolutely blew up. 
Uh, everyone has recreated it, including the CEO of Ocean Spray, the cranberry juice brand, and the members of Fleetwood Mac. And it's been so popular that Dreams, the song, reached the top 10 again, and then Dreams, the album, is in the top 200 again after the for the first time in 42 years. So it's really showing the reach of TikTok. But more importantly, it's just this guy riding, and it's all about the vibe. And people are really into that. And Ocean Spray looked at it. And the reason why he was skateboarding was because his car broke down. And so they bought him an Ocean Spray truck, Ocean Spray swag, all of this Ocean Spray stuff. And beyond that, like they gave him a TikTok commercial. And so they, to me, part of proving that you're authentic is paying someone to do the work for you and not just taking their content. And this is a great example of someone who clearly became popular because they were so relatable and they were in a class where they didn't have any disposable income. They couldn't even afford a taxi. And now you're having a brand come in and kind of like really play on that and really leverage him and not treat him like just an asset, but actually trying to like bring him up with them. Jackson, what's uh, what was your reaction when you first saw our ocean spray friend? I mean, I loved the original like vibe of the video. And I love the creativity that's like spawned from it, like all the different ones. I kind of prefer how Fleetwood Mac like capitalized on it versus the Ocean Spray. Um, and I really liked that there was that girl who did a Canadian version where she's drinking Mott's Clamato, which like I thought was both disgusting and amazing all at the same time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's cool. Renly, I know you want to be on the podcast, but if not, not cool, buddy. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Jules. <laughs> I mean, for me, this example is literally everything I love about social media. <laughs> it's random. It's spontaneous. It's totally unpredictable. What's going to take off? And, uh, you know, for, I, I think that a, a real indicator of success is when something goes beyond its inception. Like the story that you just told is all from the brand perspective, but you know, Scott and Jackson, I think I sent you guys this on Instagram is to see the evolution past where it started. So right after that was the vice presidential debate in the U S and if you recall, there was a fly on Mike Pence's head and someone took that as they created an Instagram reel of zooming in on the fly and the fly is on a skateboard drinking <laughs> ocean spray to dreams. And it was so funny to see that evolution past where it started to now going into other like cultural memes and other cultural references. To me, that is like, you are, you've officially made it once you, you know, start to go into other areas. My, uh, my, I mean, I agree with all of you guys, but one interesting thing that I was reading about with this particular campaign is when they did interview, uh, I guess it would be the president of Ocean Spray, and they straight up asked him, like, why didn't you just recreate it as soon as you saw it? And, and he talked a little bit about, like, it's about the restraint. I mean, it, it is your immediate reaction to be like, oh, my goodness, somebody's doing this really cool content. We should use it or we should come up with something. Um, but he just talked about the patience behind it. And, and, like, we talked about authenticity before and just kind of, like, letting it go. And if you let it go, sometimes the job kind of does itself. And he was right. Like, man, not like Fleetwood Mac's joining in. We've got politicians all over the world joining in. We've got other brands joining in. Ocean Spray could, does not have enough money to get Fleetwood Mac to do this kind of publicity <laughs> stunt, but social media has that power. Exactly. Great, great example. Jackson, take us home. What you, what you got today? <laughs> and a dog barking. Yeah. Uh, which is mad because I'm about to talk about cats. 
Uh, my pick was from our queen, uh, Taylor Swift, which like I, I believe that, that Robin's going to get into it on, on me for this. I don't know why, because she's amazing. Um, but You know me, though. <laughs> but she, I, I think earlier in the podcast, I forget who said it, but someone was talking about, like, you can't just, like, go right to the, like, call to action and get people to buy stuff. This is an example of, like, a, a brand or a personal brand where, like, you can do all the things hit all the, the right notes and like go right to the like jugular with like the link to the online store because it's super authentic to her brand. It's about selling her CD. Maybe some like rogue cat hairs get on like these special additions that she slips in with the other ones. Maybe it smells like white wine that she's drinking while signing autographed CDs like some sort of bygone era of like who's buying it on CD. That's amazing. And then just boom, right to the the store to buy them. Everything about it just seems like effortless, but for her fan base, like the perfect kind of way to engage them on like something, something exclusive, potentially um, something that they're kind of like, and it all on Saturday being Catterday. <sighs> Just nailed it. Did she do it on herself? I'd like to see a team of people advising her on that, but it was beautiful. Jules, first reaction to that. I mean, this works because she's a celebrity. And it also works because she's normally a very a generous person and gives her fans a lot of like free content and a lot of free oh, just uh, items and things like that. So I don't mind Taylor asking, being so direct to say, buy this. Uh, and I might throw something in because uh, because she does so many other nice things for her fans. So I'm with you, Jackson, on that side of things, that the kind of direct-to-sales work uh, in this way. And yeah, I mean, yes, to all the things, like this doesn't overly impress me, but yes, to all the things that you said, the fact that she did it on Catterday, uh, you know, very relevant. She's obviously understanding social media, which we know that she does already. So in that way, yes, it checks those boxes. I love that you're you're very like obviously like, I wasn't that impressed, but it was it was all right. It was I like just, I like that. Know, it, it was just a it was a tweet that was thoughtful, but it went yeah. it didn't knock my socks off. I'm in the same boat as usual. So like I think it was it was clever. The thing that stuck out to me, Jackson, you brought up earlier is the CDs thing. The, I think that and, and I'm just gonna make a blind assumption here. I think more people have record players than they do CD players at this point. 100%. So why is she why is she signing CDs and not vinyl? I think you're missing that she's trying to be on the front of a new trend because vinyl relates to you guys because you might have seen vinyl when you were kids. I never grew up with vinyl and I still have vinyl, but like a CD player can go into so many more things and it's so much more accessible for teens who probably don't have a $250 record player. If that's the case, then I want my Taylor Swift single cassette tape. Totally. <laughs> Robin, take us home. What, what was your <laughs> reaction to this? I mean, I kind of agree with Jules. Like, it was it was a tweet, and it went out, and it was everything you wanted a tweet to be. But I find Taylor has way more impressive social media presence and stunts. Yeah. Like, releasing her album without any preamble and coming out with music videos and all of this stuff, and she had done it all. That was way more the authentic Taylor experience that I look for as a stan, whereas this tweet kind of targets her, like, 
core fan base that is already following her and probably was already going to buy that, but now they might buy it today instead of waiting for tomorrow. That's fair. That's Just fair. my opinion. I, and, and that's what we're here for. Thanks for listening to Version Control, Season 2, Episode 1, Telling a Story on Social Media. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to give us a rating on iTunes. <laughs>